What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Okay, you know, like at camps and stuff like this, you take the ball out. You ain't getting the ball back. <laughs> like, you the last one up the court. They already did their thing. So I stopped there, and I just got into a rhythm and started hooping. The Lakers should sign Trey Young this summer. They got to kind of start preparing for, like, if LeBron's last year is this year or next year, whenever it is. And I feel like a uh, pick and roll with AD and a guy like Trey Young would be deadly. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Moments like seeing my son's team cheer him on mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, palbociclib. Ibrance 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrance and visit Ibrance.com. Ibrance may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrance may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrance, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. Jake Paul has silenced all his opponents. But his next test against combat sports legend Tyron Woodley is his toughest yet. Now the fight critics said Jake Paul should never take is here. Wants it more. Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley, Sunday, August 29th at 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific, live on pay-per-view. Order now. Go to Showtime.com slash PPV. Welcome to All the Smoke, a production of The Black Effect and Our Heart Radio, in partnership with Showtime. Welcome back to a special edition of, of All the Smoke. Jack, what's going on out there in Atlanta? My brother, what's going on? It's starting, the weather getting kind of bad out here, man. I got to come back to the West Coast and get some of this sun and shine. You know what I'm man, talking about? It's like 102 out here today, man. You can have this shit. It's too hot. <laughs> man, we got a special guest today. Uh, man, someone we've been wanting to get on for a while. It's finally worked, it's, it finally worked him uh, into the program, man. Welcome Tyron Woodley to the show today. T, what's, what's up, up? fellas? What's now, if I want to slide down to Miami... You get that 102 and you feel like you're in the armpit. The humidity right. uh, to take it out. <laughs> yeah, take it yeah, out right shit. quick. He with his shit out there. So you're, uh, you just mentioned, so you're out there training in Miami for your training camp. How long have you been out there working? Man, I've been out here shit since I saw y'all at the Floyd fight. I've been out here since June. So I've been out here for a minute. Getting it in. 
getting it in, man. Uh, L.A. was really comfortable for me. You know, that's what was my second home. All my friends out there, the, the entertainment, the glares, the women, the movies, the TV shows, the music. And um, I really want to just lock in. I know it sounds kind of weird that Miami would be a place to lock in at. But for me, <laughs> right. it was unfamiliar. You know what I mean? And I just didn't take the time to really get to know the city for all the, you know, all the evening and, the, you know, the weekend festivities. I just came down here to get it in. Absolutely. So what has been different? I mean, you've been in the fight game for a long time. You're actually our first martial arts artist on the show. Oh, uh, shit. Term, term boxer. But what's been different about this training camp um, from training camps in the past? I mean, off the jump, just the, the love, you know, to be honest, like, um, you know, I had a I had a great mixed martial art career, you know, especially winning five world titles. But it got to the point where it became a chore and it became something that I really didn't like at certain points in my life. And it was just the politics of the bullshit, the drama. And then, you know, you know, I thought the rubric to becoming a great was finding the, the equal opposite that shit talking press conference, the big super fight, and really getting the bag. You know, you know, it's kind of weird. Like in basketball, if you guys win the NBA finals, you the fucking the champion. It don't matter mm -hmm. if you got a fire ass suit on. It don't matter if you can talk trash. It don't matter if you drive a Rolls Royce. But um, it became more of the entertainment than it was a sport. And I was trying to juggle both of them. And then you know, part of my career, I kind of got lost. All I got lost into the the bells and whistles that went with it. And then, you know, um, boxing gave me a fresh start. And I've always wanted to box. It's really the reason why I went in MMA, because I was too, in my opinion, too old to start boxing at 23. But this gave me just new life and new wind. And, uh, man, I'm fucking having a blast, training my ass off. I'm putting weight back on now, man, because I, I got so lean out here in freaking Miami. I'm out here looking like a Julian salad. Shit. <laughs> 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 Okay, you, you've seen you've seen bro face to face, you know, a couple of times, but what were you thinking when you first looked into his eyes? When y'all did that first stat out, what was you thinking? He was just nervous, he was scared, he was shaking, he was doing what he thought he needed to do based upon watching us. Like that's to be real. You know, and when I say us, I mean professional athletes. I mean people that really do this shit for a living. I've been doing this before it was legalized. I've been doing it before actually it was gloves involved. So at the end of the day, it's in my DNA. I'm a fighter. That's what I do. I've been fighting my whole life. I've been knocking people out since I was in elementary and middle school. So at the end of the day, he's walking around like a BT uncut video, you know, wearing what the culture tells him he should wear, saying what the culture tells him he should, you know, say. And, you know, even all his antics and beating and screaming and yelling, you're watching the old ripped off MMA promo kit. So at the end of the day, when I got into his face, I felt a lot of uncertainty. Um, he's going to come to fight. He's an athlete. He's going to be in shape. It's going to look like a boxing fight. But um, when you talk about what what it means to be a fighter, what it means to come up against adversity and overcome it, what it means to be told you weren't going to make it and you make it, when it means to be, you know, predicted and kind of, you know, molded out to be a statistic and you overcame all, that's a fighter. He hasn't had to do that. So at the end of the day, all things constant, even if he's, Equal speed, equal power, equal technique, um, great coaching, great training partners, no injuries, and mentally ready to go to war. When it get down to the bare essentials of what it, what it mean to be a fighter, he gonna get his ass whooped on the corner, on the side, the back of the head, the elbow, the chest, the neck. You know, what I mean anything it takes. I'm willing to go there, and I don't think he is. 
you came into this sport with a heavy wrestling background, but by the time you climbed to the top of the mountain in the UFC, you were known as a knockout artist, someone that threw yeah. hands. So this transfer over to you, uh, you know, I didn't think it would be as big of a deal for someone else. You know, the last guy he fought wasn't really known for throwing hands. That's something you're known for. So, you know, with that said, we got a chance to interview him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, gave you a lot of respect, you know, saying he's training hard. This is going to be his biggest fight. Outside of that, what have you thought about the back and forth? I mean, I think he's a great to me, I think he's like the 50 cent of this kind of era as far as knowing <laughs> how to push buttons and talk shit and promote and, and get a bunch yeah. of hype around different situations. What have you thought about just the back and forth? You've been in it for a long time, like you said, but it's kind yeah. of a new age of shit talking now when you you know when you're dealing with a YouTuber that kind of does it for you know for a living. You know, I mean, you give him a little bit more credit than, you know, he's worth giving him the 50 Cent. Now, 50 Cent was a street guy. He was a, he was a stick-up kid. Like, he really, really lived that life. And he, because he knows he's from that background and because he probably is not scared, he control the shit out of everybody. I would compare him more to a Takashi 6ix9ine, somebody that didn't grow up, didn't grow up with, you know, um, didn't grow up with street code, don't know the values, don't have nothing to lose, and he can, he can, he can do whatever he wants to and still come outside arena. I think it's important for the sport. I think it's important for the entertainment. And at the end of the day, you got to see it for what it is. This is entertainment. This is we're entertainers. You know, this is not even really athletics anymore. Mixed martial arts is not really athletics anymore when you really think mm -hmm. about it. Like, it don't matter who's the best. It don't matter. Like, think about it, you know, like the sport. And I'm not knocking the sport. You know, that's that's what made me great. That's what made me the legend. That's what made me in a position right now where I can even fight a fight like this. But when you, the bells and whistles are gone and all the press conferences are gone and you're left with people that actually still got to fight and win fights, look at our champions. Most of which are that are non-shit talkers. Most of which that are non-U.S. Um, citizens that weren't born here. So when you really think about it, Francis Ngannou is not going to sell a fight like Conor McGregor. Neither is, a, you know, the guy that's fighting is Brian Ortega. Brian is like, you know, you corny, dude. You got weak energy. Like, I can't even talk shit to you. Like, think about that. Look at look at the, um, Moreno. I call him McLovin'. He's the nicest kid. He's doing hearts. It's going to come a point in time where a motherfucker still got to win the fight. And when you try to pose a fight against this guy, he said this about him, you're going to end up with a Dustin Poirier winner. You're going to end up with a Brandon Moreno winner. You're going to end up with a Francis Ngannou winner. You're going to end up with people, you know, like a Kamaru Usman that these guys may not have sauce. They may not have the ability, but it was never formulated to be just a sport. If it was, everybody who's the best would be accepted like a Steph Curry. It's not like that. You got to be everything. And if you, if you for one second think that this Jake Paul kid don't belong in boxing because he didn't start shadow boxing at eight years old. You sadly mistaken because guess what? Who gonna push this needle on the pay per view? This is gonna be the biggest pay per view of the year. This is the first time the UFC has ever said, "Oh, the biggest pay per view of the year." They have to do that. We're gonna do numbers on this fight, and I think you know the entertainment aspect is going to meet the actual sport aspect. He's he's gonna he's going to salute me. He better. He probably played me on a video game, you know, growing up. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to talk about how great of a champion, how great of a striker, and he's going to reduce himself down to a Disney YouTuber. I didn't watch the interview, but am I kind of right what he said? I'm just his YouTuber and I'm just going to, this is my toughest match and I'm going to put him away and da 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 da. Because guess what? 
If he does it, now he's beat this person he's built up. If he doesn't do it, well, I'm going to try again. And you know what I mean? Da, 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 da. I took off. You know what I mean? It was a great try. And, you know, I'm going back after it. So I'm not playing those games. I know he out there training his ass off in Puerto Rico. Um, unfortunately, he got a whole beehive worth of cheerleaders, you know, lying to this motherfucker, telling him he can do it, telling him he can beat me, telling him it's enough. And it ain't. It ain't enough. You don't have enough time. You need years. You need you need years to to gain ground on what I got in my mind and the, and, and the, the amount of violence I'm willing to produce in a ring. Like, so I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm gassed up. I mean, obviously you gained the status uh, UFC champion, UFC legend. The one knock I've always had on the UFC because I'm a big UFC fan is the amount of money you guys make. And if I'm not mistaken, this will be your biggest um, purse. And it's really kind of outside of actual like real this is you know this is an entertainment it's still a fight but it's more entertainment talk to me about what you think about you know hate him or love him uh, dana white and the way he kind of controls the money and, and certain guys eat and most guys really got to grind throughout their career to re really even kind of touch any real money in that sport i mean it's not really grind outside of your career if, if you're willing to kiss the pinky ring then um your your, your life can change very quick and then I just never was that guy. I never will be right. that guy. I'm too. I'm too expensive. The industry can never afford me. So at the end of the at the end of the um, at the end of the day, you know, I don't compare myself to Muhammad Ali. But when I look at Muhammad Ali and I look what he stood for, he didn't do what was cool at the moment. He did what he believed in. People didn't like the way he talked about him being the greatest. They didn't like the way he, you know, he taunted and he went after the guys or show up their house and you know what I mean. He didn't like what he stood for. And he like people, some people didn't like when he changed his name to Muhammad Ali. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, people love him and they worshiped him afterwards. And they're going to worship him probably for the, for the rest of our existence. We'll always know him as the greatest because of what he did in and what he did outside of the ring. In my mind, I feel like, you know, I'm never going to succumb to something I don't believe in. I'm never going to be silent. And if I'm silent, it's because I'm being violent. It means I'm brewing up. It means I'm cooking up. It means I'm whipping up. And when I come out from that silent corner, you're going to see so many different bags created and so many different avenues made for my people and my family. And, you know, when I say my people, don't get it confused, black, white, green, purple. I'm talking about people with substance, people that stand for something, people that believe in treating people right because it's the right thing to do, not because it's a cute thing to do for a little PR. So at the end of the day, Dana White and I, you know, we made millions of dollars together. Don't get that twisted. Don't think that I didn't make a fortune in the UFC. But at the end of the day, God willing, it's this time where I'm going to actually get paid, where I feel like at this moment of my life, I'm deserving to get paid. I'm going to get paid a handsome purse. I'm going to get paid crazy um, pay-per-view points because it will be the biggest pay-per-view. And y'all motherfuckers better tune in August 29th, the Saturday hey, we gonna is gonna be not there. Savage Day. Bro, we we, we going to be there. We going to be there. I'm talking about these far as listeners and viewers, which is yeah, me, by the man. way, too. I'm a big fan of this show. I watch it. You know, I take um, inspiration on you guys on, on really finding a way to get great messages out, but be yourself. There's so many people that walk around every single day and they something that they not. They something mm. that the nine to five told them to be. And I really respect you too, because y'all did it your own way. And people real, recognize real and real people fuck with authentic. And, um, you know, I'm blessed to be on this show and blessed to, you know, be able to use your platform to talk to these people. So I know y'all going to be there, but I'm talking about people that's watching August 29th. If you're in Cleveland, Ohio, slide if you want to see a bloodbath. If you want to watch it on your TV <laughs> where you can pause and pause and look away and go to the bathroom and, you know what I mean, 
you know, send them to the ambulance with a nice little prayer, then you can do that too. But make sure you tune in because it's going to be something different than what you expect. It's not, it's, it's, it's not the YouTuber versus the TikToker. It's not the celebrity. This is a real motherfucking fight. It's going to look like one. I promise you it. It's going to look like a real fight. It is a real fight. And when it's done and it's over with, they're going to be like, Tyron's going to be a world champion in boxing. That's what oh. Floyd said. I'm not training you so you can go out here. And I know we're going to get to that next. I know I've been saving that one. But he said, I'm not training you so you can beat this guy. As long as your mind is there and as long as you're in shape, you're going to beat this guy. Oh. But I want people to look at you on your first fight and say, no, this kid's going to be a world champion. And oh. my training camp has been nothing short of it. Love it. Uh, your upbringing, Ferguson, Missouri, uh, the 11th of 13 children raised yeah. by your mother. Talk to us about your upbringing a little bit. Man, you know, I, I'm from Ferguson and, and, and normally I would say St. Louis until, you know, Mike Brown got shot and, you know, was killed. You know, I, I dated a girl that lived in that building where he dropped that. And I went there many, many late nights. You know what I mean? That quick trip, that quick trip was walking distance from my house. That was my street. So it's not my neighborhood. It's not the roundabouts. It's not the subdivision. Like West Florissant is where that quick trip is. And I lived on Chambers in West Florissant. I walked there. You know what I mean? When times was rough, I had to, I had to pump and blast out one time. You know what I mean? When it was, when it was, when it was rough for me like that. So to see that, that, that type of thing happen in my city to grow up, you know, gang banging from a, a family of, you know, my entire family is, you know, engrossed into street life and many of them still are. That's all I knew. That's all I saw. And, you know, I actually didn't take the right way. I didn't, you know, go and turn the other cheek. I was all about it. That was my life. I, I, I glorified the, 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 the biggest D-boy, the, the person that had the most credit, that beat the most people up, that knocked people out. It's just always, since I was a kid, you know, my big homie, man, he was just known knocking police officers out, knocking out, you know, anybody that he touched, they went down and he had so much juice and everybody loved him. They were scared of him. They feared him. And I always wanted that. And um, for me, I'm just a real blessing because when I was trying to get into the life and I was trying to sell drugs and I was trying to do things that God didn't mean for me to do, these people said, no, you're going to go to college. You're going to do something different. I'll take care of you. You may have to collect a little money here and there, clean my shoes, wash the clothes. And when I get done cooking, you know, you got to do this, but we're not letting you get involved. And there was many times where I attempted and each time the same message, which told me it was God I said, no, you're going to be different. How wrestling going? When's your next wrestling match? Who are you wrestling against? And they will always push me in a direction, which I felt like at that time, I didn't want to hear that, man. I was wearing hand-me-down clothes for my sister. I had holes in my shirt. I had to iron all my clothes for the whole week, but that's all the clothes I had. So I'm rotating t-shirts. Monday, I wear this. Thursday, I wear that. Flip the jeans over, da 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 you know what I mean? Or I stole my cousin clothes just so, you know what I mean? I didn't have to wear the same shit. So I didn't want to hear that, nigga. I'm trying to, I'm trying to actually... Look fly, you know what I mean? These girls at school. So at the end of the day, I'm just more blessed. And I look up to those people way more than a Dana White, way more than, you know, another celebrity person. No, because these people took care of me when I was evicted. They took care of me when we was homeless. They took care of me when I was broke and I didn't have a, a means. And I had to turn up for them and I did it. And I went out there and I broke every high school record. I broke every collegiate record. I went to the University of Missouri when it was garbage. And I put them on the map and I brought my dogs with me. My, my homie was supposed to go to Northern Iowa, number one recruit in the country. And I told him, let's go over there and let's make a difference. Missouri's terrible. Out of 92 schools who were wrestling, it was 70 
72nd. They were the fucking doormat of the Big 12. And I brought home the first ever Big 12 championship in the University of Missouri history. Two-time All-American. And I went on to try to make an Olympic team. So, you know, we created... To, I've been a trailblazer. This ain't new to me. So for me, growing up in Ferguson is everything to me. So, you know, if, if somebody got something to say bad about Ferguson, they really like saying your mama to me. And then we're going to have a problem. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Your first professional fight, I mean, you kind of took us where we were going next. We were going to talk about college, but you took us already. But your uh, first fight, uh, February 7, 2009, you won by submission. What was it like when when you finally stepped in the ring in your first real fight? You've been, like you said, you've been fighting since you came out the womb, got on the right path. People kept you on the right path. And when you finally make it to the top of the top and you're in that first match, what's going through your head? And you finally end, you, and you end up winning in the first round as well. What was that like? One, I appreciate the research. You know what I mean? You, you my homie, you could have just, we could have had a casual conversation. Um, somebody called me earlier today for an interview and I was offended because don't call, don't ask me bullshit that you don't like, you could have just Googled that. Like, dog, come on now. Um, but, but you made that sound way more sophisticated than what it was because we not like you guys. There ain't no draft. It needs to be a draft. 
If a motherfucker right now from down the street said, hey, let me jump into this pro fight, they are a pro fighter. So um, the first fight that I fought on actually was promoted by Ben Askren and a guy named Wade Rowe. Uh, I fought, hey, I fought hey, this hey, hillbilly I'm, ass I'm, guy. I'm, 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 I don't mean to cut you out, but I think I could have whipped Ben ass the way he went there. <laughs> I could have knocked Dang. his ass out. That was terrible. <laughs> but but he, he promoted the fight. And then, um, you know, I went out there. It was two years in the making. All the fights got canceled. It's very difficult for a two-time All-American wrestler to get a fight against anybody. So, you know, I had opponents cancel, fights cancel. And it was really like when I, I'm not exaggerating, it took two years for me to get to that moment. And when I got to that moment, it was nothing that gonna stop me from winning that fight. You know, I hit that man so hard, I punched him. It wasn't this tap out through the due to a, a arm or a choke. I was punching this man out. He said, "Fuck this." He started hitting the man. Said, "Nah, I'm up. Nah, y'all ain't paying me enough." Y'all told me he was a wrestler, and this dude hit me with the Holy Ghost. So it just <laughs> felt good. And I, at that moment in time, my family was like, "Why are you doing this? Are you going through identity crisis? Why are you fighting? Why don't you just be a wrestling coach?" And I'm like, no, nah, but I feel like I can kill somebody with my bare hands. And I feel like mm. I started praying about it. Like, God, is this right? Is this, am I doing the right thing? Is this wrong? And, and they were quickly reminded that we've been warned since the beginning of time. David was a warrior. You know what I mean? Think of Samson. He was a warrior. God created us. I'm not, I'm not claiming I'm going to be in the, the next Bible coming out. But at the end of the day, war is a part of our blood. And I'm fighting for my family. I'm fighting for what I believe in. I'm fighting for people that grew up in Ferguson and don't think it's possible. I'm fighting for people that have been taken advantage of, manipulated, you know what I mean? And really passed over and, and someone told you you couldn't do it. That's what I'm fighting for. So it is right. And that's why I'm the chosen one. Mm -hmm. So you make your Strike Force debut a few months after that at the crib in Missouri, two, uh, June 6, 2009, uh, won by submission. Now you're on the biggest stage. After you won that yeah. fight, you signed a six-fight uh, six deal with uh, Strike Force. Did you kind of feel like at that point you had made it, or what was your thought process when, uh, when you won your Strike Force debut? You know, what's funny is um, I went out to San Jose, and then um, I was at a gym called AKA, and um, I didn't know who that gym was. Uh, after I had my pro debut that we talked about a minute ago, I went out there, and I was training, and I was like, everything to me was a tryout. So I'm like, these motherfuckers trying to... They trying to test me, so I'm going ham every chance I got. And when I got out there, it was Bob Cook, it was Javier Mendez. You know, these are the guys that coach Daniel Cormier. These are the guys that coach, you know, um, you know Khabib, Namega Madoff. Uh, Daniel Cormier wouldn't even didn't even want to fight then, because he was like, "Man, you crazy? Well, they ain't doing that MMA shit, man." Blah, blah, blah. So like this, this was like literally the infant stage of my career. And I went out there and I turned up. I was rough, I was green, but they saw I had it in me. So we get to the fight, and I'm weighing in and the way it's set up is the undercard of all the, the strike force fights were basically a local promotion it wasn't like strike force or showtime picked us and mm -hmm. shout out to showtime because guess what that's where i started and that's where i'm back at um but anyway i'm at the weigh-in and um i'm at the weigh-in and, and bob cook is a matchmaker as well he remembered me from the gym and he came up with scott coker and he said who do we need to talk to about a six-fight deal with you now we're at the weigh-ins like I said, was well, shit. My manager right here, my coach right here. Let's get it cracking right down. We stayed up to three o'clock in the morning. I weighed in three o'clock in the morning. I inked my deal. The next day, I went out there. They put all the cameras on me. You can go and look at it right now. It's God is my witness. Google Rising Star Tyron Woodley. 
that's before I that's before I signed the deal officially. That's before they even knew about me. I was an undercard fighter, and I promise you, historically, that was the first time in the history of combat sports that somebody from a locally promoted undercard they were in a meeting, and Scott Coker said, "Is there anybody that?" that we should be looking at on the undercard. And Bob Cook, because he remembered the way I turned up at AK, he said, it's one kid. Mm. This kid right here is going to be the Nick Diaz killer. Nick Diaz was a champ at the time. Mm -hmm. He said, he's special. He's different. If there's anybody you ever look at, you need to look at this one kid. I was doing this contract. My lawyer was doing the most. I said, let me tell you something. God orchestrated this dog. Mm. I'm not no damn Fedor Emelianko. Fedor was a goat at the time. I said, we're signing this fucking deal at three o'clock in the morning. I'm going to whoop this motherfucker ass tomorrow. And then I'm going on and we're going to turn up. And that's exactly mm. what happened. I went mm. 10 fights in a row with, with Strike Force. Everybody Damn. was getting stopped. Everybody was getting finished. And they coined me as a, the best athlete in the sport. The one to watch out, the rising star. He's the number one person that you need to look out with. He will be a champion. They said the long ago. 2009, what are you? Are you 28 at that point? Yeah, I'm 28 at that point. Okay. Just break Kind of old, according to biologically, but as far as body youth and just, you know, being green in sport, I'm, I, was a, I was a baby. Didn't even have a beard yet. <laughs> but you were I in your ad, ad, I mean, you might, have, you, you might have been a little, you know, a little late to start, but I mean, that's really when you hit your athletic prime as an athlete, though, is that 26, 27, 28, 29 range. So you were right in prime form. So it's not surprising at all. Go ahead, Jack. So would, would, would you just okay? I, I know you. We both from the hood, and it's a it's an old term of I'm like a pit bull ready to scratch. Yeah, and I know you know what that means. When uh, yeah, for sure. Pete, a, a young a young T Woodley. How can you best describe him? Was he a young pit bull ready to scratch? He, I never scratch. I always bit. I never scratch. Like <laughs> from the beginning, like. Like when I came hey, out, hey, like, hey, 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 but you know, but you know what scratch me, scratch me. Yeah, they're ready to scratch yeah. out that corner. You know what I'm saying? To get to, yeah. to get to the next dog. Yeah. But I, but I was always little though, so I was always little, so I couldn't scratch. I had to, I had to go after the biggest person always, and I had to bite, so I had to send a message. When I grew up, I was tiny. I was 112 pounds my freshman year in high school, and people always tried me. And I'm like, you can try me, but I'm going to fuck you up. And people was like, <laughs> looking, because I was so little, but I stood my ground. I meant it. And I was not losing no street fight to nobody. So at the end of the day, like, you know, the young Tyron Woodley, he came out blazing. Like, everybody used to always be like, just weather the storm. But nobody could actually weather the storm. You look at all my beginning fights, when he said, are you ready? Are you ready? Go. The second he do like that, you see somebody sprint across the cage, the octagon, whatever the hell they call it, and you see somebody just swinging. It may have been technical. It may have may have not been the fanciest Floyd Mayweather, you know, razzle dazzle. But it can't. Even a gust of wind was enough to make him off of it. Hold on, hold on now. What's going on right now? And I and I just came out with that tenacity. And then I learned the skill. And then I learned the technique. And then I had the IQ. And then I had the skill sets. And then I had the game plan and the coaching, and the training partner, and the mentality. And I put that in there. But it came a time where I kind of buried the little pit bull for a little bit because I, I saw, you know, how you start getting good technically. And you like just want to make everything a chess match. Now my coaches brought it out. Floyd said, no, nah, dog. He said, hit this bag with them UFC punches. He said, you box the mitts, but you fight this damn bag. Exert yourself. Exert yourself. Exert oh. yourself. And he stood there. And I'm like, 
what I'm gonna do, not exert myself in front of Floyd Mayweather? Like, nah, dog. Like, <laughs> I don't, I found it. And guess what? That pit bull had the scratch. And mm. I found it and I dug it. So this whole training camp, we kept that theme. And um, that's gonna be the difference from my 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 last few lessons you guys may have viewed in the UFC versus this session I'm about to teach here in this boxing match. I got a question. So, I mean, you mentioned early on a dog, maybe not as technically sound as you learned to be. I kind of feel like in the NBA, as talented as you are, it takes you about four, three, four, maybe even five years to understand how to play the NBA game. You could be a super athlete, but until you kind of, you, you get those years under your belt, you know, around year four, you start seeing, you know, you start really seeing the light. As a fighter, what is it, how long do you feel like that process, how many fights did you feel like you, you know, kind of had to get under your belt until you really started figuring out, like, I know what the fuck this is all about now? Our sport takes longer, though, to be honest, because you think about the sport of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's an 80-year-old, 80-year-old man doing that. It's, right. you know, it's, it's not so much about how much you weigh and the force you can apply. It's about if he wants to go this way, let him go that way, but let me have three or four things for him once he get on that side. So our sport, um, the guys are really peaking between the ages of 35 and probably my ages. When you're going, that's when Anderson Silva was his best. That's when Daniel Cormier was his best because you have the equal part of that pit bull that you started with. You gain the skills here. You got the experience now because you've been in there with the greats. The older you get, the, the better you get, the, the higher the competition. So the, the more complex the training camp is and the tougher the fight is once you actually get in there, you don't lose that experience. Jake doesn't have that. He's never been in there with the Robbie Lawlers, the natural born killers, the fucking gorillas, the Darren Teals, the up and coming fighters, the legendary fighters, the hall of fame fighters. I've been in there with all of them and now I'm one of them. So at the end of the day, our sport, I, I believe that if you started young as a freestyle fighter, meaning that you don't come in with a base, it's going to take you 10 years, in my opinion, to really get to that point where I'm looking at you like I would look at a Max Holloway or something like that. If you come in with a very, very, you know, great amateur wrestling career or a very high level boxing career, only those two, because those boxers drill all the time. So when it comes down to drilling, wrestling and jiu-jitsu, they're used and accustomed to drilling. A football player, and if you're a heavyweight, that's different. You know what I mean? I feel like the heavyweights who do better coming from other professional sports. But in general, I would say 10-year mark is the mark where you really, really start to, like, you know, become untouchable. And then if you can take care of your body, don't flood your body with fucking PDs and steroids and all this other stuff, and you actually maintain a good, humble mindset and you learn the skill sets as you go, prior to your 12 and 14 mark is when you're going to go up. That's what I feel like. So you mentioned it earlier. Shout out Showtime, obviously. Showtime. Because they pay, cause they pay us. But uh, you made your Showtime debut in 2009. Almost 12 years later, you're back on Showtime uh, in the biggest fight of the year in boxing. How does yeah. that feel? feels amazing because, you know, they really, they give you a chance to be a star. If you're a star, you're a star. If you're not, you're not. But at the end of the day, you got to be a lot of that chance to show. And I feel like the promotion, I feel like all the, the, even just the posters, even just the, like, I don't know if you guys saw the promo, but if you haven't got a chance, it's 30 seconds. You know I me, mean? we wish it scrolling on IG. So when you look at it, it's just like, he's selecting somebody. He selected me. I can't see him. I'm on the other side. I graphically, motherfucker, I select you too. And then we go on the war. Boom. 
he's this, a polarizing figure, da 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 da. YouTube sensation, boom. Tyron Woodley. Now, now they're making it known that this is a motherfucking fight. Yeah, I said all y'all want to do, but at least this kid, he stepped up. Let's be real. He didn't have to pick me. He could have right. picked Tyson Fury because he could have picked the other little Bellator dude. He could have picked some other person. Boxing usually builds up. This motherfucker stepped in front of a real person that is going to try to knock his head off his neck. And you got to give him credit for it. So now the mm. promo is showing us this is a fight. <laughs> so you uh, spent three years, 09 to 2012, in Strike Force. What was that transition like to the UFC? Uh, you know, obviously the UFC is at the top of the game or, you know, the top of the pyramid when it comes to MMA fighting. What was it like when you finally made that transition? And was it, was it, was it like a high school to college jump? You know, we kind of say sometimes that college to the league jump is serious. Like what kind of difference did you see in fighters from the UFC uh, opposed to the strike force? No, I mean, we bless, we bless the UFC. They're lucky to have us. We, we came and we put swag into the organization. Our belts was better. Our welterweight division was way deeper. Our champions were better. Like, you got to do your math. Cain Velasquez, strike force. Daniel Cormier, strike force. Amanda Nunez, strike force. Ronda Rousey, strike force. Misha Tate, strike force. We came over and we took name. Robbie Lawler, strike force. Tyron Woodley, strike force. All of their champions at one point in time were from strike force. And we came over. We had the best year in 2010. We had the best heavyweight division. We had Fedor Emelianenko. We Daniel Cormier was the alternate pick. He wasn't even in the tournament. He got in because somebody got injured. You had Josh Barnett. You had, you know, everybody you could think of. Dan Henderson was strike force. All these different people were in strike force. So at, the, at that time that we came over, the UFC, they bought us because we were too big of a competitor. They had a lot of injuries. They had a lot of fight cars go out. They had a lot of lackluster fights. And we was lit. We was cracking. It was the craziest year ever. <laughs> so for us, and for me in particular, I had went 10-0. I was undefeated. I never saw myself losing in the sport. And um, I got knocked out in a world title fight. My first world title fight, I got knocked out. First and only fight my kids came to. I already had a shelf in the gym for the belt. I never thought I was going to lose. And I got crushed. And I was kind of depressed. And you know what I mean? I went in a little corner for a minute. But I said, fuck that, man. I came out and I had to show people. So my first UFC fight, and never forget it, I fought against Jay Heron, which was my dog, by the way. I knocked him out in 36 seconds, and it's to the day one of the fastest, most electrifying blitzes across the, the octagon. I punched him so many times, and I had to let people, I said, guess what, Welterweight, I'm here now. Mm. And everybody, Dana pulled me into the back. He said, that's how you do it. That's how you show 2 million people what it's all about. We're going to take care of you at the UFC. We love your tenacity. We love your, your abilities, man. You, Everybody's talking about you on the internet, da, da, da. So I had to let motherfuckers know. And that's that's kind of what I did in my first fight. So I was already coined as as someone to look out for. And then I took a bump. My last fight in Strike Force, I lost. And then they got bought out. I didn't get a chance to redeem myself. So when I came to the UFC, I had to turn up. Mm. So fast forward three years later, you know, you have a chance to become the Walter Waite champion. You defeat Robbie Lawler in UFC 201. What do you remember about that special night? I just remember about the night that um, I feel like I had been in this position before and, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to shit down my leg this time. I wanted to make sure I got it done. You know, um, I always used to imagine NCAAs and wrestling and they got that one mat, the one stage, you come in there, everybody came running from one corner, stumped on the mats 
And I just knew I was going to see that at least by my senior year, win the NCAA title. And I never got that. So this was my version of that. And when I got to that point where I was in there, I'm like, it's nothing, it's nothing that's gonna stop me from winning. There's nothing that's gonna stop me from winning. There's nothing that's gonna stop me from winning. And I just remember being so determined. I just remember that that the 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 thought of defeat was not even in my mind. It was like, what round am I gonna do it in? That's all I kept thinking, what round am I gonna do it in? And um, you know, I got the opportunity. I sensed a little fear in him. Uh, I did a couple of things that really, you know, I, I saw showcasing on the wrestling. And, and Robbie, remember, we should be training partners. We were teammates. He was a buddy of mine. My kids loved him. My, my ex-wife loved him. They, we were fans of him, you know what I mean? Because he's such a humble guy. And um, I saw a level changing like I was going for a shot. He dropped his hands like overly compensated because he remembered those hours and those days when I used to throw him around like a rag doll in wrestling. And he was really scared of it. So I said, oh, so I shook it off, circled around to the right, came back right in front of him. I did that same level change. He dropped them hands and I Got went it. upside his head, bow, and he mm-hmm. was down. And then I just threw a couple extra on her just in case, cause he was tough. And then at that point, like the, just a lion jumped out my body. It was like everybody that said I couldn't do it. Everybody that thought he was just gonna knock me out. I've been down for 18 months. I was injured and everybody had so much to say and I didn't deserve this fight and I was gonna lose and I was a fucking speed bag. I was easy walk. He was just gonna murk me and, and I was just really like, I, I said, let me show you motherfuckers how great I am. And um, that's probably why I like that Muhammad Ali quote the most. What was the biggest difference from training from boxing to from to MMA to UFC? What's the biggest difference in the training? I think the biggest the, the biggest difference is in MMA we get a lot we get away with a lot. So when our boxing coaches are working with us, they don't want to one they don't want to lose us as a client. Two, they don't want to you know change what we've done. And our stances are a little bit more wider. You know we're able to throw punches more ah sharp punches and make noise and, and look cool, but they're more on extending your punches. Everything has to have defense before, defense afterwards, meaningful punches. Where are you putting it? Why are you throwing that? You know what I mean? Every time somebody throws something, don't just make a miss, make them pay. So I think the sweet science of boxing for me, it's been great to learn. I love it, but it's also been the most difficult because I got so many years conditioned and allowed to throw techniques with one hand down, not pivoting the lead, narrow, being a um, wide target because I could always tell my coach, Brown, coach Eric Brown in LA, well, I'm set up this way because if he kicks my leg, I can just right. turn out and check. Right. Or if I yeah. need to get a takedown, I can take him down. Or if he comes for a shot, I need to be square to, to, to defend him. Or, you know, he may throw an elbow instead of this. So this is why my hands position, I, we got to make a lot of excuses. In boxing, you don't. Like when I, when I get off here, I'm going to take a nap and I got to go spar pro boxer. And the last time my coach said, you lost two of these rounds. This is why. This is what you did. You were winning this round. This is where you gave it away. This is where you let him look like he was more of a aggressor. So I got I to gotta compartmentalize that. And when I go under the night, I'm not going to lose one round tonight. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano. And we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think you could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest 
Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. I'm not guarding like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So Floyd was giving you advice. Obviously, it kind of made it seem like you you mentioned earlier that he wanted to kind of prepare you to be a champion. So is he training you? Did he give you advice? Like how has Floyd uh, helped you prepare for this fight? Yeah, we I, I check in with Floyd weekly. Um, his um, church, his trainer, um, GT, which you guys may know, he trained Floyd Mayweather, he trains Javante Davis, he trains Adrian Broner, and he's one of the top trainers. You know, he was one of the top boxers at the time when he was competing. So the first time I trained with with Floyd, he was there. He was the one that was facilitating most of the mid. They both was evaluating my technique, my shadow boxing, my bag work, and just making notes. And then I trained with both of those guys again. And then Floyd told him, he said, "I want you to stay here in Miami." I don't need you traveling. I don't need you moving around. I need you to be here for him every day. Everything he need, I need him to have. And like clockwork, every morning he run with me. Every day we working out. He's calling to make sure I'm cool. He was a part of the reason why I didn't go out to L.A. He said, can you do this remotely? I want you to stay put. You know what I mean? I haven't been home to see my kids. I miss the shit out of my daughter and my sons. So at the end of the day, um, you know, I had a conversation with Floyd, which I can't share yesterday. <laughs> But Floyd don't fuck around, man. When you when he feel like you his people, he don't mm-hmm. play. Like he makes shit happen. He moves mountains. And it was something small, but he turned up as if it was like something fucking ginormous. And I'm like, damn, this motherfucker don't fuck around about me. So <clears throat> he I think he I think he respects how professional I am, how hard I'm working. And just from the reports back from GT, how how good I'm getting, to be honest. I don't know how else to put it in such a sharp period of time. Switching lanes a little bit, 
Uh, you do a little acting in your spare time. Uh, tell us how you came up on that uh, straight out of Compton role, and how how was that experience working in such a legendary movie? You know, my my homie Lynn Odin was doing some of the stunt choreography for it, and I was kind of joking when I found out he got it. You know, he's also since then directed uh, Cobra Kai. You know, is a phenomenal director now, but he started as a stunt performer, stunt coordinator, second unit director, and then he moved out to director. So I remember sending him. Um, Pictures of like me dressed up as a gangbanger and me in red flying on me in blue. And I was like, motherfucker, you better put me in this movie or I'm beating your ass. Like that's that's literally <laughs> what I told him. And then I was I was kind of like, of course I wanted to be in a movie, but then I actually kind of was sending it into him kind of like funny. But he starts sending those pictures to Ice Cube and F. Gary Gray. And then F. Gary Gray and Cube said, I like his look. We want to pick, they picked me for the for the movie. It wasn't based on MMA, it wasn't based on, you know. Um, who I was, because I wasn't really nothing at that time, to be clear. So they they picked me because I had a very convincing look. And then actually, once I got there, I was supposed to do a different role. And I was like, they wanted me to cut my beard off. And I'm like, oh, shit, hold on, dog. Cut my beard off. And then at the very last minute, Cube said, no, nah, I want him to play T-Bone from the lynch mob, right? Mm. Keep his beard. So I went from a couple days to six weeks with a supporting role. Got my little bars under my lines, but I was in so many different scenes in the movie. So that's kind of how that came about. And, and I don't do acting on the side. I'm an artist all around. I do everything on the top. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the sport of mixed martial arts is the art that I started first. So, of course, I'm going to be further along. Um, but music, movies, producing, podcasting, television show, um, writing, all those forms of art I, I participate in. And I don't allow people to, to minimize or to try to make me stay and just punch. Or stand just due to um, work behind a desk. Nah. You know what I mean? Anything that God gave me, any gift that he gave me, I'm going to pursue. And I'm good at all of them. But it's going to take more time for some of these. It's like an equalizer. You don't kick them all up at the same time. You know what I mean? The the dial for wrestling was there first. And then it was mixed martial arts. And then after I smoked Jake on the 29th of August in Cleveland, Ohio, you're going to see that one jump up real quick just because of the, the platform that is given. But musically, as an actor, as a writer, as a producer, and, and soon I'll probably end up directing. Um, you're going to see all those things go to the top and to the point where you just give me credit as an artist performing art. And I pick the canvas. You don't pick the canvas. You know? mm, and that's, that's, that's what I want the fans to know about me. Straight <laughs> up. How did you get the nickname The Chosen One? Uh, it came from just basically, you know, I was T Wood and, you know, my, my, my guys used to call me Hot Sauce randomly because I joked them and I was like, when Ben Ashman was a wrestler and all these other guys were like, what's your nickname? I said, well, don't call me coach because I was just your teammate five minutes ago. I said, if you're going to call me something, call me coach hot sauce. I was joking. And they started calling me hot sauce. And I'm like, I'm not coming out of damn hot sauce. Because at that time, it was an N1 cat. You know what I mean? His right. name was hot yeah. sauce. So I was like, no, I can't do that. And um, <clears throat> then when I right before I switched from Strike Force to UFC, I wanted a I wanted a new slate. I wanted I wanted to be, I didn't want to be T Wood no more. And then um, I started thinking about my life and diversity and where I came from and how many times I was never supposed to make it. I was never supposed to be here. I was never supposed to you know uh, make it out of where I even lived at. Let's not graduate high school, college, or do anything. And I feel like God chose me for this. He chose my life. He chose my body as a vessel to use. So when people see me run across this cage or knock somebody out or, you know, decapitate Jake Paul, they like, man, how? And I'm always say him. So I feel like he, sh- he shows me for this 
You know, he put me in position to do this. He gave me the right resources, the family, everybody in my family. I mean, like you said, I'm 11 or 13. They didn't go to no band camp. They didn't go to no track and field camp. They couldn't do basketball. We couldn't go to the movies. We joined on each other in the living room. That was our Apollo. So they invested into me. And when they did that, I felt obligated to turn up for our last name. And I did so. And, and now my family motto for my kids is make your name great. My son's a 4.0 student, senior in high school, um, recruited by Yale, Harvard, Stanford, North, Car North Carolina, North Dakota State, Kansas State. He's going to go Division One for football, and he's made his name great. And my other son's a soccer player, 10 years old, on the select team. My daughter's a recording artist. She's also just, you know, a, a whole personality. She's the one that really shot a camera in front of her. And my other son is the fifth fastest running back in the entire country at 13 years old. So... My kids have made their name great and they, they learn from me. They learn from my mistakes. They learn from what I did well. But one thing they never see me do is quit ever. Facts. So. All right. Quick hitters. Now we're coming down to the end of the interview. So first thing to come to mind, let it go. Jack, go ahead. You got them. Top five rappers of all time. Oh, we got to go with. Uh, got to go there. No, number one, I got to go with Tupac. Um, mm hmm Nobody moved, moved, moved my spirit and just made me really listen to him like that. Uh, I'm going to jump around a little bit. These are not like in order after that. He number one for me. Um, I was like Kendrick Lamar. He was so creative, uh, almost introvert to the point where he was almost a genius where he just couldn't even socialize normally. Um, Nipsey, just because not so much about the lyrical. He was, he was lyrically phenomenal but what he stood for he actually gave away and showed people how to get to the bag and how to uplift the community he showed it um Jordan Lucas is uh, a homie of mine but also I just love his consistency and his persistence as a uh, MC his ability to change his flow how fast he can rap how slow he can rap what he can talk about the beats the concept the visuals he's a, he's an artist um you know he should really consider acting I don't know if he has or not but um he's a phenomenal artist and here recently, to be real honest, like I just been listening to a lot of drill music because my mind's just been kind of, you know, in, in that position just to want to just fuck something up. So um, when I think about drill music, you, you got to just go ahead and go one of the OGs like the locks. Because I don't know if y'all mm. saw what happened the other day. Man. But Jada Kiss is a whole Man. nother dude. And I want to say a whole nother something else, but... um. He was, I, I he really, was that. He was that. What you was about to say? Definitely. He was that. He was that. And he was that. Some. So I wanna. He wasn't. He, he was always someone I looked up to, and I thought he was phenomenal. He's never had a bad verse in my mind. But the way he handled that, the way he performed that, his tone, his delivery. He didn't forget one line of no words. His mixtape shit was on the on the heads of most people's deluxe albums. I really now think that he's now in the top five dead or alive. So Jada Kids got to get in there. And we you spoke on Nipsey. We got to say shout out to Marathon Clothing. I got my box in. As you see, I'm fitted today. Boom, boom. Marathon. Shout out to Marathon. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, I ain't opened my box yet. Shout out Marathon. But also, too, we had a chance to have, we had Jada uh, a week before uh, the, the the verses at, at the Garden, and he was excited. And I, I thought it was dope because if you look at everyone had Dipset. Everyone had Dipset. Yeah. Oh, Dipset's going to do this. Dipset's going to do that. Jada really came through and fucked all that shit up. Yeah, Dipset, Dipset. I mean, I'm a fan of uh, a Dipset. They're, they're great entertainers, lie. but they're not better rappers. Yeah, not not rappers. Not, not only that, they, like this is the thing. If I was if I was them, which I'm not them, they're them. Uh, come out off the gate. I really mean it. Um, Dipset anthem. You know, hey ma, from the beginning, 
they waited until the end was too late. The, the, there were so many nails in the casket by the time they got <laughs> to them songs. And it was like, it was to the point where I feel like had they did that, maybe it would have been different, but I still don't think it was enough. It was, it was when, when they were, the DJ Tech, shout out to him. I don't even know him to shout him out. But I'm telling you, every time they wanted to change the direction and the order, the sequence, he was right there. Um, Santana said something about, do they even like the ladies? He said, do I like the ladies? Boom, Mary J. Blige. Boom, J. Lo. Boom. He said, like, we got Grammys. What you talking Mariah about? Carey. Like, Mariah, Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey. Yeah. Like, like, they was instant like oatmeal. And I just feel like that level of entertainment and entertainers and real bars matters. And just Styles P, like... I was I was kind of want to see how people were gonna deal with Jim Jones' balling song versus I Get High. They could have locked. They should have just let them go heads up because they was going heads up on IG anyway. They've been they've been going at it. Yeah, yeah. Jada Kiss and Cameron, but you can't really put J Cameron on the same level no. as Jada Kiss because Not at the literally. time Cameron came out with what we didn't hear before. He had he was super drippy, super crafty, but um like. Jada's iconic. He's legendary. He's classic. He's timeless. You can go back and grab some of those records from 20 years ago, and they can go head up with a lot of records now. So overall, I like the banter. I like the back and forth. I like what it did for the for hip hop for for you know New York City in, in particular, but in general, Jada Kiss just is a different monster, man. Mm-hmm. He came out like crazy, crazy. Shout out JD Kiss. Episode yeah. dropping soon. <laughs> if you can go back to one sporting event and watch it live, which one would it be and why? Any sporting event. <laughs> hey, Mike Tyson against Holyfield when he beat his ear. Oh. I want to see his face and what he was thinking when he did that. Like, what went through his mind that said, I'm going to out. He blacked out. Off. Like, not, not nibble. My man's ear. <laughs> no, nah, he bit that motherfucker. He bit that motherfucker off, so gotta be that one. <laughs> like, I wanted to say I was there and I saw it. Soundtrack to the lead up to your big fight. Three songs or three artists that's in rotation to this ass whipping you about to give, Jake. Um, Ambitious of a Rider, Tupac. Mm. Um, it's a song ready, with ready. Pops. You, you yeah. ready to kill us up. You ready to kill Kill Mo, Kill Mo. It's a song on Pop Smoke's new album. Called thirty is basically talking about if, if you think it's sweet, pull up. Um, and, and my track, I got a track called "Go Big," and I can't announce the feature on it. We about to shoot this video Monday, um, no. but the dude, the dude only make hits, only platinum songs. But it's a song called "Go Big," uh, produced by Hitmaker and Chris Sean. Those guys are phenomenal. Shout out to them, make a sound. Um, but it's really an anthem song. It's really a license song, and it's encouraging everybody. Fuck winning the title. Fuck being this and being good. Let's go big on everything. Mm-hmm. Let's go on big everything. on a podcast. Let's go big, big on, on big. our business. Yeah, go big on big. And it's a really motivating song. These last two years been shitty for a lot of people. Pandemic, politics, and we've been down. Now it's time to level up. Let's go big. It's trillions out here. If people, if anybody can put a big toe on the moon, I can. So the go big song is going to be an anthem. You're going to hear it in locker rooms. You're going to hear it on your speaker. You're going to hear it everywhere. So that's going to be dropping right before the fight. It's going to be the walkout to the fight. Mm-hmm. I'm going to save the feature for, for later on. You guys, when y'all see it, it's going to be very, very suitable for the moment. And uh, I'm excited about that. So, yeah, go big. That's We're going to up. season three, so we finna go big on big, too. Boom, boom. <laughs> there we go. Uh, see? Top five dinner guests, dead or alive. So, a dinner, dead or alive, Who who you plus five at that table. Oh, dead or alive, Wiz. 
Never been in a bad mood around him. Wiz Khalifa, shout out to him. He gave me my first single, I beat your ass. Super cool, super, super, um, super great at business, but also good at keeping uh, all money and bringing his homies up, bringing his family forth. It's teaching them a way to make money legally. Um, Jamie Foxx, because he's a comedian, he's an actor, he's a singer, he's just a fire-ass homie. So um, definitely him. Um, Who else? Got to get some females in there. I'm trying to pick somebody that ain't booed up because I don't want to disinfect nobody. Um, <laughs> Nia Long. I know she got a man, but she's just so classic. She just get better with time. And, um, you know, she's been in so remarkable films and she just really made culture shift in a whole different way. So Nia Long, uh, let me see. Let me get some athletes in this mug. I'm going to just invite my two homies right here. We done. That's yeah, fine. Hey, we there. Barnes and Stack. Now we up. We're going to medicate. We're going to eat a great feast. There we go. <laughs> but we in there. Yeah. We in there. It's the first, it's the first list we've been added to, man. So we got to hold on to that one. There we that. go. There we go. And I'm, 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 I'm hold myself to that minus the others. I can't vouch for the others. Yeah, I can get Wiz not. and Jamie, but Neil Long may be out. We, we pulling up though. We definitely pulling yeah. up for sure. Celebration okay. dinner. If you could have one guest on all the smoke, who would it be? But before you answer, you have to help us with your answer. All right. All right, I have to help you get the person on there. That, that's smart. You guys are fucking real smart for that. Um, <laughs> Shout out let me see who can I get on your show that I think would be dope. I would say Floyd Mayweather. Has he been on there yet? Mm, no, that's good it. call. That's what yeah. we waiting Great on. Great call. We waiting right, on Floyd, Floyd too. Floyd. I want to look out for my dog, Floyd. Tell, hey, tell Floyd we'll come wherever he's at, too. We in All there. Right, I'm, I'm going to do my best to try to make that happen. Appreciate it. Closing thoughts, man. August 29th. Ohio, lights on, bells about to ring. What could we expect that night from you? Um, closing thoughts, August 29th, Cleveland, Ohio. You're going to see Tyron Woody look up at the sky. He's going to take a deep breath in, free, breathing that fresh wind. The Holy Spirit will enter my body, and it will be lights on, and it will very, very quickly be lights out. And after that, you may not see any celebration. You may see stone cold walk off because I am a champion, and champions wins fights. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to salute my coaches. I'm going to hug up my family. And this is the beginning of my new reign. You will see me at the top for a very long time. Biologically, I can give a fuck less about what the A's say. My mind, my spirit, my body, everything is in tune. I'm excited about the opportunity. I'm blessed to get a second chance. This time I will do it the right way. I will give glory where it goes. And uh, I'm going to let people know what's possible. Pretend your solo camera is Jake. We gave him the same opportunity. What you want to say to him? I don't got nothing to say to you, dog. I'm going to show you. I'm from the mm. Show Me State. Mm. Mm. With that said, <laughs> tune in. August 29th, Showtime, pay-per-view, cruiserweight boxing mega event. Tyron Woodley versus Jake Paul Sunday. We'll be front row, everyone. All of our fans, make sure you tune in. Showtime, pay-per-view. Best of luck to you, bro. Appreciate you when you get back to L.A., I got something waiting on you. We're going to get up and burn something, know. but until then, <laughs> sure. bro, best of luck. Appreciate you. I right, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Good luck, champ. All right, T. This is All a Smoke, a production of The Black Effect and iHeartRadio in partnership with Showtime. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic, every home run, every hit, every inning, every play, from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar, whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 
21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.